Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. We just beat Kentucky, and in the 20 seconds that it's taken me to get into this podcast, we've already shown more emotion and intellect than the entire SEC broadcast led by Mike Corey was able to do over the past three hours. BK, how are you feeling, man? I'm great. Okay, let's start with the broadcast, shall we? Because I got some thoughts. Oh, was that, was that the D team? Was that the D team? What happened? Like, I they were convincing themselves for about five minutes that Tyler Beatty fumbled. Um, yeah. I, I don't understand anything about what I just watched over four hours. Like, it, it was wild, man. They, they were trying to convince themselves of things that just weren't there. There were moments when I was telling my fiancé, like, what are they talking about? What are the, what are they saying? <laughs> I, I just wanted to, like, shake them. Like, what are you doing right now? Like, look, it's a weird season. I get that. Um, you can at least not be hung over for a game. Uh, show a little interest in what's going on. I know Stinchcomb's not like he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Like I understand that, but this was noticeably bad from yeah. him. I, yeah, the fumbles, uh, the time management, the any like nuggets of information that they usually have just just bad. Uh, so I'll credit Don Davenport for working hard to try and get the stories in because she had nothing to work with uh, up in the booth. So yeah, it was. Um, Less than impressive. Were they there? They they weren't there, correct? They were there. That's the worst they? part. They could see everything. Uh, yeah. Because I know for some of these games, yeah. like they haven't actually been at the field, and that does change things. Yeah. Like it's it's a broadcaster it myself, and I, I mean, doing a radio show, and that's different, obviously, than doing an actual live football game, calling the game, doing a radio show, being on remote, being elsewhere other than in the studio, changes things. When you're doing a football game and you're not actually in your typical um, spots where you're you're in one spot, your partner's in another, you've got your producer behind you, you got everything kind of ready to go, you know how everything's laid out, it, it can change some things. But the fact that they were there, man, there is no excuse for them to be as bad as they were tonight. That being said, though, the Tigers did get the victory, and I've got a question for you, Nate Edwards. Yes, what's Before that? Before the season, I remember we had a lot mm-hmm. of talks. And one of your big opinions was nothing matters from this season. It is the pandemic year. Mm -hmm. None of this matters. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a question, my friend. Did tonight matter? (laughs) It did. (laughs) It did matter. (laughs) It did matter. I told you, uh, when did I say this? I guess we said it uh, on our last Mm -hmm. show. This is the game I cared about. This, this is, this is it. And, and a little bit of Arkansas just because Barry's there, but like, this one in Arkansas are the two games that I really, really cared about. And mostly because Kentucky's always had our GOAT uh, for the past five years. So I was like, no, this season doesn't really count. Whoever wins the division or the conference or the playoff or whatever, I was like, oh, asterisk, get the hell. I don't care. The point is, is to start the season, play all the games in the season, and everybody make it through. That was always the goal. There are little things that you can do in between. And we talked a lot about, you know, oh, we're a bad team. Here's what you can look for. Uh, and bad teams to see how's, how as they develop and what the tactics and how the coach manages game day and all that sort of stuff. And that's still true. But when you finally break a streak like like Missouri did, that absolutely counts. That absolutely counts. And I'm sure you agree. Of course. That. Yeah, no, th- this, this mattered in a really big way. And I know we've got a lot of th- different things that we want to get into about the game, but just 
I mean, I was looking up things that were happening in America the last time that Mizzou beat Kentucky, <laughs> and it's just, yeah. it's wild when you start to put this in perspective. Like, I'll give you a few of these. Um, Disney had just announced Toy Story 4. Like, not they announced that it was going to be debuting on, like, a certain date. No, no, no. Like, they announced they were going to be making a Toy Story 4. Um, Shake It Off by Taylor Swift was at the top of the charts. LeBron James Mm -hmm. had just returned to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Marcus Mariota Mm -hmm. was on his way to winning a Heisman Trophy. Um, Patrick Mahomes was a freshman quarterback who was a no-name at Texas Tech. Like, Oh, hell yeah. There was some wild stuff. It's been, just to kind of put it in perspective of how long it has been since Mizzou was able to defeat a team that they should have beaten plenty of times between now and then, been a while man and so to get this monkey off of their back was a really really big deal and uh shane ray broke michael sam's single season sack record in that game and was a first round projected nfl player can't miss uh and marcus golden was just some other dude that he played with and i'm pretty sure shane's out of the league and marcus is just got re-signed by the cardinals so like man lots of things happened over the past five years um also we weren't in the pandemic Drew Locke hadn't um, started a football game for Mizzou. Oh, damn, you're right. He was still a senior. (laughs) He was at least Summit. He was. Dang. So it's been a while. Um, (laughs) I was was not married, and I did not have a kid. I was a junior at Mizzou. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Been a minute. Been a while. So, hey. We, we beat the Cats. We beat the Cats. We got rid of Kentucky. Um, that is a story in and of itself. Breaking the streak. It's been five long years. No one on the roster had beaten him. Um, you got only a handful of guys. No, you don't have any guys who would still be on the team who were there. So um, no one had seen it happen, and now they did it. This is all well and good. The other story, and maybe the most pertinent for Mizzou fans, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But uh, it's the manner in which Missouri beat Kentucky because we're looking at this you know for the past two weeks oh Connor Bazelak Eli Drinkwitz this high-flying offense throwing deep deep bombs to to Boo Smith and Tosky Dove and you know Micah Wilson and Larry Roundtree Tyler Beatty and everyone's contributing and going warp speed and just bombing people to death and oh man can we do that against Kentucky and then they turn around against a Kentucky team who plays ball control field position sit on you until you pass out and that's what they did to them. They ran it 50 times. They held the ball for 40 minutes. They they gave Kentucky nothing and beat them at their own game. And I think really, other than the streak, that's the biggest story of this game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Missouri had drives of 13 plays for 66 yards that lasted six minutes and went for a touchdown. They had a drive that lasted 12 plays, 65 yards, three minutes, and had a field goal at the end. 21 plays. 66 yards, 9 minutes and 35 seconds, and didn't score, but we'll get to that in a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. 15-play, 61-yard drive that went 7 minutes and ended in a field goal. Like That is Kentucky. Mm-hmm. What I just said, if you had told me before the game, hey, there's going to be four drives that a single team has in this game, and here's what they look like. 13, 12, 21, and 15 plays, and they take off 6, 3, 9, and 7 minutes from the clock. I would have mm-hmm. been like, oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) This is going to be mortifying to watch because all of those had to have been Kentucky. 
Because that's it, their MO. That's how they win football games. I was going back through a bunch of stats after this game of, like, historically speaking, what Missouri was able to accomplish in this game. And I was like, oh, I'm sure there's no teams that have, you know, thrown for fewer than 50 yards frequently in the SEC. Nope, that happens to Kentucky all the time. Um, I'm sure <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of teams that finish the game with one passing first down in a game. Nope, that was Kentucky like every game last year. Um, what Kentucky did in this game, more or less, was kind of what Kentucky does. The difference was Missouri did it too, and they did it better. And that's what made the difference in this one. I looked this up after the game as well, and it's kind of my favorite stat from this game, Nate. Kentucky mm-hmm. finished the game, finished the game total as a team with a total of 36 plays. They, on offense, had the ball for 36 plays. That is the fewest plays in a single game by an SEC team in at least the last 20 years. I'm going to say that one more time. No team in the SEC has played a game in the last 20 years and had fewer plays in that game than Kentucky did on Saturday against Missouri. I can't go back further than that. That's as far back as sports reference will go. So it might be even longer than that, the last time that a that an SEC team had fewer than 36 plays in a single game. But that's as far back as I can go. Missouri beat the hell out of Kentucky in this one. The score doesn't reflect that necessary tw- necessarily 20 to 10, but they did. They took that mirror that we talked about earlier this week, and they turned it on Kentucky, and they reflected that Kentucky might not be quite as good at their game as Missouri is at their game, and that's damn impressive. It really is. Uh, Mark Stoops said the same thing in his press conference post game. He said that they kicked, you know, we kicked their ass, and that's not really something you ever heard. Um, it's been a while. You never heard it from an Odom team. You rarely heard it from a Pinkle team. Like they just, yeah, they throttled them, and uh, it's incredible that a team that can, you know, two weeks ago on 69 plays go for five point or sorry uh yeah 8.7 yards per play um you know throwing it all over the place 30 rushes you know 35 passes and and just trading bombs with LSU they can do that and then two weeks later just strangle Kentucky to death same guys same guys uh same quarterback same head coach same everything no real injuries in fact they got receivers back and they could do the ground and pound and it, it just it blew me away. And and so what's great is that a defense that had been gashed by Kentucky for the past five years on the ground didn't have to do much at all. Um, they were forcing three and outs, yes, so like they did their job well, but they just didn't have to do it for all that long, um, which is great when you have kind of a, a thinner defensive front. And um, it, 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 I'm just it's speechless, absolutely speechless. I think the, play, the, uh, the stat for me, uh, which you and I were looking at before we hit record, uh, was that Missouri had 22 solo tackles, and seven of those went to Nick Bolton. <laughs> like, all game, all game, Missouri had 26 solo tackles, 28 mm-hmm. total. Seven of those went to Nick Bolton by himself. Um, again, Missouri fans, if you haven't already, and I feel like you do, but if you haven't, please learn to appreciate Nick uh, for the next six games that we have, because when this season is over, he better be gone because he is absolutely worth uh, worth an NFL draft pick. 
He's amazing, man. I mean, he had multiple plays in this game where it's just like, like special plays. Um, his sack that he had was, first of all, a fantastic play design by, the, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a defensive line play design or the defense coordinator, Ryan Walters. I don't know who deserves the credit for it, but whoever does, awesome design. They had basically, a, it was a stunt up front where the defensive tackles both crashed towards the left defensive end. Um, and then the left end looped inside and on this play, basically that was, it was the guy that was inside of Nick Bolton and the defensive tackle. So they're all crashing and then the end loops inside and it freed up Nick Bolton eventually to be able to peel off his block and eventually make the sack. It was just, it was the perfect call on the perfect play. They did not have to blitz often in this game because, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, Kentucky wasn't throwing it a whole lot. But when they did, it was super effective. So Bolton was awesome. He came up with some massive plays. The thing that still stands out to me, man, is every time he makes a tackle, the guy goes backwards. And that just (laughs) doesn't happen typically, especially in the SEC. I mean, Kentucky's a really physical, really strong team. That is their identity is that they are super, super physical. And Bolton's just more physical than any of them. And he shouldn't be able to be that because he's not like this massive dude, but he's a physical freak. He's super athletic. He can get sideline to sideline. I mean, he's he's everything you want in a 2020 linebacker, and every week we are reminded of that. So he was awesome. And then I got to give a shout-out as well, once again, Joshua Bledsoe coming up with the mm-hmm. biggest play and the biggest possible moment back-to-back games for him when it mattered the most right at the end. He comes up with the forced fumble, he recovers it, and he ends the game as a result. So a bunch of dudes defensively coming up with big plays once again. And as a as a unit, just a really, really impressive performance against what had been a pretty darn good Kentucky rushing attack. I mean, let's not... Let's not lose sight of what they were previously. Coming into this game, they had had plenty of success on the ground, and it just wasn't happening for them against Mizzou today. Yeah. Larry Roundtree uh, was obviously a focus of the broadcast, and and deservedly so. Uh, Homeboy ran for 37 37 Mm -hmm. times for 126 yards. Now, that's a 3.4-yard average. That's not great. But that's not what they wanted from him. What they wanted was a bigger dude in between the tackles. Bust a few, sure. Um, but just soften up that defensive line, soften up that front seven, and just plod and plow and grind and just hold on to the ball, matriculate down the field, wear them the hell out. And um, he was the perfect back for it, and he had the two touchdowns. He had the two big scores for Missouri. And uh, it's not like the flashiest, sexiest game ever, but um, this might have been his best game as a Tiger. It was really impressive. Um, I, there were a few things about this that really stood out to me. So first of all, let's start with the number. And the number is the 37 carries. Mm-hmm. And the last time that we saw a running back run 37 times in the SEC, any guesses? Uh, my guess would be Derrick Henry. but It's a good tell- one. He, he did it multiple times. It was Ish Witter. <laughs> <laughs> interestingly really? enough yeah um ish witter uh, in 2017 ran the ball 39 times against arkansas in oh that good game. god so it's the most carries really? yeah most carries wow. by an sec running back in a single game since that one by ish in 2017 so Damn. he was just he was a true bell cow and that's what he's been most of the season and certainly the last couple of weeks he has been that for mizzou but 
that part of it is impressive. I also loved two other things, and these are more like actual actions that we saw in the game. First thing was his run where at the end of it, he just punished uh, Kentucky cornerback Kelvin Joseph on his way to the sideline, and then the entire sideline erupts in celebration. Like, God, yes. Let's spend a the, second The picture on this. of Achiel Byers, like, pointing <laughs> and laughing at him. Like, <sighs> let's spend a moment on this, and then I'll get to the last thing that he did that was really impressive to me, that I, or that I loved. Mm-hmm. That stuff matters, man. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make too much of it, because it's not, like, the most important thing. But it does matter. When you've got a dude like Larry Roundtree, who is... Clearly one of the leaders on this team and has been a leader on the team for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. And you see the sidelines engaged. That That's meaningful. And you see the energy that they have. You see that they are clearly having fun while playing football. And I don't want to make more of this than needs to be made. But there were just a lot of times over the last couple of years that it didn't seem like Mizzou was having fun playing football. Hear that? Yeah. And this is supposed to be fun. Like playing college football, <laughs> most of these dudes are not going to the NFL, and we've all seen the commercials, right? Like ninety-nine percent of these players are going to go pro in something other than football. We, we know <sighs> this is supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be a fun experience where they win some games, they have some fun, they get their degree, they have their scholarships, and then they move on to something else in life. And you 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 grow them as men as much as you do as players. But to be able to do all of those things, you kind of need to do the winning first. That's kind of the prerequisite, right? (laughs) And they seem to be having a whole hell of a lot of fun, both in the winning that they're doing right now and the way that they're going about the winning. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of credit that needs to go to the coaching staff for that. And it didn't seem like that was always the case over the last couple of years. So it's one moment, but I think it captured a bigger thing about Mizzou football now compared to where it was in recent years. Swag. <clears throat> Swag. Like, if you don't have it, you got to, you know, you got to generate it in other ways. And, yeah, you know, the previous four years kind of always felt like the Tigers played up tight. Like, you'd have a couple, like, roaring moments, like big, you know, a turnover or a big catch or something like that where you see the sideline come alive. But you didn't get a lot of uh, a lot of positivity, a lot of a lot of big, juiced ampness, if whatever you want to describe it as. Um, and that was, you're absolutely right. That was it. And I know people were like, oh, you know, you're celebrating, you know, someone getting hurt. Like, no, we're not celebrating someone getting hurt or having their feelings hurt. And like, there is a part of me, maybe the parent part of me was like, no, he just, he wanted someone's hand to help him up and no one helped him up. So like, there's a little part of me that kind of felt bad at the same time. This is Kentucky. This is football. Like we can hold hands and we can be nice after the game. During this game, you got to do everything you got to do to win. And I just love I, – I, I, I cannot put into words how much I love watching Byers pointing and laughing at the kid on the ground. I know what I just said. I felt bad. I also thought it was hilarious. And I want that picture printed out and put somewhere uh, – you can put it in the mat, see? You can make one of those banners at Faroe. I don't care. But, like, I love that. And that's such a statement on this is who we are now. Yeah. This is the new zoo. Uh, we expect to win. We expect to have fun. We're going to make you hate it, uh, hate playing us, and uh, maybe we win, maybe we lose, but this is something different. And different is not something that we've felt over the past five years. Absolutely. And another part of that was, and I, I, 
maybe this is me making something out of nothing, but I think there was something about it. And they kind of did, credit where it's due, mention this on the broadcast. Um, Larry Roundtree, I don't remember the exact play that this was, but it was late in the game. I think it was like their last uh, drive that they ended up scoring on. Larry Roundtree looked to the sideline and it appeared he was signaling to the sideline, keep pounding the rock. Keep oh, yeah. pounding the rock. Yeah. That's that another yeah, thing. Like a little hammer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's another thing that, again, maybe I'm making too much out of it. I don't think I am. No. That That's just kind of cool to see a guy who, again, he finished the game with 37 carries. And this was a situation where typically you, you got to imagine he was exhausted. He was probably beat to hell at one point. He looked mm-hmm. like he kind of turned his ankle. And I think that was actually right before that where he was like, I, I'm good. I'm good. Let's keep going. Um, and he's just, he was like, nah, I'm good. Let's keep doing this. Keep doing what's working. And they kept riding him, man. I, th- I thought that was really awesome as well. And I thought that was kind of another one of those little moments within the game that it's not going to show up in the box score. When you look back on this game, you're not going to be able to remember it unless you were watching kind of the intricacies of the in-between plays moments. But mm-hmm. that, that was pretty significant as well to me. My favorite thing. I know I've probably said that 17 times at this <laughs> point, but seriously, my favorite thing, or let's let's call it the most impressive thing, the 21 play drive. I know it did not end up in points. I don't care. I will, I will make the argument that was the right choice to make at the end, but we'll get there. I agree. 21 plays, 66 yards, nine minutes and 35 seconds off the clock on the first drive of the third quarter, Missouri leading 10 to three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really. I remember most of the conversions. There was a third down, a couple third downs, a fourth down in there. Um, so it took a, it took some some real execution and some good uh, scheming to get there. But they did it. And regard outside of everything else, like the fact that Missouri can do this. Usually, you see this from like a triple option team, like a Navy or an Army does this sort of stuff. Um, you usually don't see it from Missouri. So I really haven't seen it from Missouri in the past ten years. And it was just so cool. At one point, I was like, oh, wait, how many plays are we in right now? And uh, I couldn't remember. And then they mentioned it on the broadcast. I was like, oh, my God, really? Is that really true? And, and I was just impressed that they could do it flat out. And you should have been. Um, I keep going back to this. It's it's the game that I've referenced or the the drive that I've referenced a few times now. It was that Mizzou versus Ole Miss game, right? Uh, 24. 14, I believe it was. Oh, Whenever yeah. they played uh, down 13, at Ole Miss. 13, 13. What was yep. 2013? Yep. So they're down James at, Franklin. Yeah. And they're down at Ole Miss, and they end up winning that game, and they had that big drive late. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but they had that big drive late to basically end the game. Yeah, it was 15 plays, 61 yards. It lasted 8 minutes and 8 seconds. Mm, and that was the way that tasty. they won the game. Uh, they just they ran out the clock eventually by doing that while they were up 24 to 10. That's that kind of a drive. And yeah. what we saw from LSU or the game against LSU was like, oh, wow, this team can win in a shootout. And what we saw against Kentucky is, oh, they can also win when they need to just pound the rock and finish the game with 62 carries for 220 yards. Mm-hmm. Those are very different styles. And you wouldn't expect one team that is, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but I think a slightly above average team to be able to play both of those styles. 
mm-hmm. yet they've shown the ability to do them against teams that are pretty good themselves. I mean, I as we're recording this, LSU is playing against South Carolina, and at the again the, the time that we are recording this, LSU's putting it to them pretty well. So that's not a bad team that Missouri beat a couple of weeks ago. That is that's still a quality opponent. And so they did that mm-hmm. against them. And then they did it against Kentucky who made Tennessee look silly last week. <laughs> These are good teams are doing it against man. This is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. And the thing about the, the two games, LSU and Kentucky, obviously <clears throat> an opponent, a specific school can can be very good at sucking you into their game. And it, it could be, you know, oh, you play the same style that we do, but we're way better at it. Um, so, like, you can't slow it down. You try, you try and, you know, counterpunch and you can't do it. Or it could be someone's like, hey, you're, you know, we are the exact opposites, but my style is going to win out. You see a lot of that in college. That's why it makes a lot of really interesting matchups from week to week. Um, you also get situations where you have coaches who get paid four, five, six, seven million dollars and say, no, I'm getting paid this much because I know what I'm doing. And they recruit kids to play their style. And they go into a specific game with a game plan that might differ a little bit here and there, but is mostly the same attack that they usually trot out. Eli Drinkwitz has not done that. Uh, He came in as an offensive guru, uh, similar to Gus Malzahn at Auburn, so a lot of spread to run, space, quick passes, that sort of thing. But his running backs were typically pretty good. His offensive lines were typically pretty good. And he'd have a handful of receivers who can make some big plays in a quarter, as long as he had a quarterback who could do it. Um, at L- you know, Against LSU, he was like, we're going to do everything, but we're definitely going to go deep. And then at Kentucky, he's like, no, we're, we're rolling this back. So he doesn't have – what am I trying to say? He doesn't have like this, I'm in, infallible. Right, my system is the system. No, he's not. He doesn't have the arrogance of that. He is humble enough to go. This is how we win. This is how I put the players out there to win the game. This is these are the plays that we're going to call that are going to win the game. This is the style that we are going to play to win the game against this opponent. And I feel like for all of their bravado and their football knowledge, a lot of college coaches wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't. Um, they would say, again, this is what we do, and we're going to win this way. Period. End of story. It doesn't matter who we play. We're going to do this, and it's going to work. And it seems pretty clear at this point, and this is something that Bill Belichick does a lot. And I'm not comparing Eli Drinkwitz to Bill Belichick. Like, Sure. Let's yeah. give it some time, right? Um, <laughs> but Bill Belichick, every week, changes his game plan. Like, it, yeah. one week he could – he doesn't specifically do this, but – he could if he wanted to, honestly. One week he could run the wishbone, and then the next week he's running the air raid. Like, that's that's the kind of thing that Bill Belichick would do, and it appears, and some of it, like, the basis of all of it is the same, but Drinkwitz has some of that in him. Um, we saw one thing that I really like about him in the way that he's calling some of these games. We can get into a little bit of the play calling if you want to here in a moment, too, sure. because I, yeah. I do think that's a story coming out of this game. Um, we saw at the beginning of the game, I think it was the first play even, he ran another flea flicker. Yeah. And then to start so off random. the second half, he took another shot deep. I kind of mm-hmm. like it. Um, it. It didn't work. The flea flicker, ultimately, they it was open a little bit, but Basilic didn't see it deep, but it ended up being a successful play nonetheless. 
And then the deep shot to start things off in the second half, uh, just a little bit of an overthrow, didn't quite have the separation that he wanted on it, but you live to see another day. I like the mindset of it, though. Let's take some shots, you know? Let's see if we can get one over on them, see if they're kind of sleepwalking here to either open the game or open the second half. I like the idea behind it, and you saw a couple of the staples that we saw again against LSU. Um, that Nico Hay shovel pass, we saw that a couple of times again today. Um, we saw a couple of the crossers that we had seen in the past for to Damon Hazelton. We can talk about him too. Um, we saw some of the sweeps that we've seen in the past. So there was some of what we had seen previously, but he went with what worked, and what was working was the running game in this one. I said it, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, that uh, or in the before the box, or beyond the box score um, from LSU, Eli likes to run Larry on first down. Like the vast majority of Larry's carries, eh, Larry's carries, um, are on first down. And so when I saw that flea flicker to open the game, you know, play one of this game, and it was a flea flicker, I was like, was he setting that up over the past three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't I don't know. That's, that's probably me giving myself way too much credit. But, like, self-scouting is important. Knowing your tendency is important. And if I can figure out that you like to run Larry Roundtree on first down, uh, I'm sure Kentucky figured that out too. And so, hell, open it up with a flea flicker. I like it. I think that shows that he's a smart coordinator. I do too. Uh, just for what it's worth, I was able to go back through and see what the first down carries were in this one. It was 18 of his 37 carries came in th- on first down in this one. So Yowza. That, um, that, that jives. Yeah, that's, that's still kind of going with the tendencies. I do think some of that is as simple as Larry Roundtree's coming out on a lot of third downs because you're seeing Tyler Beatty come in for a lot of those sure. third downs because yeah. he's kind of your, your passing down back. So there mm-hmm. might be a little something to that as well. And I don't think that's as much of a tendency so much as a, hey, third down, Beatty's coming in. And he he ended up getting 13 carries in this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Eli Drinkwitz because I think he had a really good game. I think he has proven that he – let me clarify – Mizzou winning this game was a reflection of who he is as a coach, and he appears to be a really good coach. I Mm -hmm. do think it was also his worst game in terms of the in-game decision-making. The timeout situation before the half, at the end of the first half, not good. you got to call a timeout there when there was, I believe it was like 38 seconds left or something like that after Mm -hmm. after Larry Roundtree went down. Should have called the uh, timeout there. You would have saved yourself 20 seconds. Doesn't do Mm -hmm. it there. They end up getting right near the goal line as a result, and they just didn't have the time that they should have, and they had to kick the field goal as a result. Um, late in the game, there was a fourth down in the red zone again. They ended up running that Connor Basilek sprint out where it was basically a naked boot. He had no options to throw to. He went to the short side of the field, just didn't like the play call there either. So there were a few play call issues. There were a few game management issues. But overall, I do think the biggest takeaway from this game is I think he's a really good coach. And if you're able to beat a team like Kentucky 20-10 to 10 with the worst game that we've seen thus far from him as a tactical, like, in-game play calling plus game management situations, uh, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, again, he owns up to that stuff. Um, I think on his way out for halftime, he said that he, he had misplayed the clock and he needed to mm-hmm. he needed to be better with his timeouts. So, again, not 
not a whole lot of uh, you know arrogance there. He's willing to kind of call it out. Uh, insisting on the sweeps to the sideline, agree. Can we can we stop the sweeps? Especially the, the short side. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Like, you're, the short side pitch in the in the red zone. You're either a, you know, it, it's a dangerous play because you got to pitch it backwards and someone's got to catch it. So that's always a little bit dangerous. But number two, it don't, I, it doesn't work. I, I, I like I said, the last time I seen it work was James Franklin in 2013. So I. I understand the tactics to it. I don't agree with it for the most part, and it seems to be something that he likes to he likes to call in those situations. Um, and maybe you'll get him here and there, but for the most part, that's got to be a, a, a less frequently used play. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of timeout things here and there. I will say at the end of the 21 uh, play drive, I do think going for it on fourth down was the right call. I know at the end of the game he said, hey, I should have kicked the field goal. Eli, I think that's you just kind of looking back with hindsight because here's the thing. Kentucky was not moving the ball, like at all. That The big pass hadn't happened yet. Uh, they had been swap, swapping out quarterbacks to no real success. You just went 20, 20 plays. Um, you were on, you're inside the 10, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you're on the yeah. 7 at that point. You're on the seventh. Go and for one. it. It's fourth and one. It's fourth and one. Um, go for it. Absolutely. I, I don't care about the play call. I mean, it wasn't great. Um, I do care but, about the play call, and they they've got it. They've they've got to clean it up with some of their red zone or inside the ten really play calling. But neither here nor there. I do agree with your premise. I I do think, and again, this is as a you know blogger sitting in my basement right now <laughs> it seemed that uh larry Bourne missed a missed a block that would have made that work um and i'll tell you basilac keeping should be pure sex like it always worked for drew especially in that last year 2018 um he would keep it and everyone's like what it should work uh but it, he was going to it pretty heavily so i don't know if they had seen something on tape where like the ends really like to crash down and they just didn't do that Obviously, the, the missed block by Borum wasn't great, but but regardless, if you get it, demoralizing, and now you get play 23, and you get another minute knocked off the clock, and you possibly score. If you don't get it, you put a bad Kentucky offense on their seven-yard line. What are they going to do? Well, what they did do was go three and out, and then Missouri promptly scored the next possession. And Kentucky's got a god punter, okay? So, like, these things, flipping the field is not easy when you have a guy like that. He's no Michael Dickinson, but he's pretty damn good. Um, but it worked because you they pinned them back, three and out in Kentucky, and then they scored the next game. I remember I texted you. I'm like, hey, that still counts as one drive. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> for all intents and purposes, it basically was. There's a little brief remission, admission there uh, when Kentucky pretended to do something for three minutes, and then that was it was right back. In so, the NBA, they've got the continuation rule. That was continuation yes, on the football field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I – I did not mind it. And I didn't mind that. And you know what's funny? I actually was upset when they kicked the field goal to end the first half. I wanted Same. them I wanted them to go for the jugular. Like you you're up right now. At that point they were up what? 7 to 3. So I understand yep. why they took the points. I get it. Um but if you would have scored a touchdown there, I felt like the game was basically over. And based on the way that the final score was, like it kind of would have been basically over. And then if you if you had scored a touchdown there and then you come out with the drive that they had in the second half, well, 
I mean, just imagine where Kentucky's mind's going at that point, you know? And ultimately the results of the game was what it was and they dominated and it didn't matter. But I, I wonder if Drinkwitz kind of felt the same way that I did where it's like, damn, we probably should have gone for it there and put the, try to put an end to this thing. And then it ended up leading to his decision on the next drive where it's fourth and one. He's got the opportunity to really go for the jugular there and they don't get it. And we, the rest is history, but I liked the decision. I like being aggressive. I like at Mizzou as a team that hasn't beaten Kentucky since 2014, be aggressive, man. This is the type of game where you do stuff like that, especially against that team and that defense. It's hard to score against them. And when you've got an opportunity to do it and you get inside of the 20 and especially inside of the 10, try to make all of that count for the most possible points that you can. And that's what Missouri tried to do to start out the second half. They didn't try to do it to end the first. And I liked what they did in the second half and it didn't work. And I didn't like what they did in the first half and it did work for them. So that's, that's kind of how, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, I like process over results. And I thought the process to start the second half was pretty good. So Drinkwitz calls maybe one of his worst games uh, as a as a Tiger head coach, and we still win. Uh, similarly, I think this was Basilek's worst game. Um, he ended up with a seventy percent completion rate, uh, no touchdowns, uh, two hundred one yards on thirty attempts. But there was some pretty questionable decision making on his part, and if you checked kind of like especially on third downs, I think he and Drink were having some conversations about his decision making. There are plenty of times when he could have tucked and ran and he didn't um, or, you know, force something, I think towards the end of the game when Missouri is driving on that last field goal, he rolled right and had space to run and then forced it to Logan Christofferson in double coverage. And you're like, dude, that this is how Missouri loses these games where you force something, they pick it off and return it for a touchdown. Like it just, there, there was some poor decision-making on his part, but it was still like a pretty good game, especially when he mostly just had a handoff to Larry. But I was not impressed with him this week, even though he did he did fine. So the funny thing is I actually was really impressed with him. Um, oh, you were? I, I, so these two things can be true at the same time. I, I agree with you. I think it was his worst game. Um, and also that's really impressive. Like the fact that his worst game is 21 for 30 for 200 yards against what I think is objectively a really good defense. And it came mm-hmm. with also like of those nine incompletions, I think most of them were like, Ooh, what, what was that decision there? That's yeah. pretty darn good, man. Um, this is a freshman quarterback still. And we got to remember that it he is. had one start last year that he didn't complete because he tore his ACL on that game. And then this mm-hmm. was his second start this season if this is what he is now, that's really, really going to be an interesting player to watch over the next few years as he continues developing from here. And progress is not linear. He's, it's not just going to be all going up from here. There's going to be some ups, there's going to be some downs, and it's going to be mm-hmm. peaks and valleys along the way. But if this was, like, bad Basilek, I'm pretty into it. I, I'm I'm good with this. This guy is a quarterback that you can absolutely win with if this is the downside of what he is as a player. Uh, on your point of some bad decision makings, there was one third and five. It was earlier in the game, and he ultimately decided to, like, instead of scramble and maybe pick up three or four yards on third and five, he decided to kind of throw it away. He just threw it at, like, the feet of his intended target, whoever oh, it was. yeah. Um, 
that's one of those spots. They were right around midfield at the time. If he decides to run it, and again, he could have probably picked, I don't think he gets the first down, but he could have probably picked up at least two or three. You make it a fourth and one or two. You make Drinkwitz kind of decide whether or not he wants to go for it on fourth down, and I think he would have. So that's another one of those situations, another one of those incompletions as well, where just with time, he's going to get better in those types of decisions. But I thought overall, he had a few throws again in this one. One was a laser across the middle, mm-hmm. uh, across the middle uh, that was a really nice throw. He had another one where he was off plant platform. It was a cornerback blitz. Um, he ended up, it was third and eight, low snap. And he's able to kind of snap it across to the outside, and he hit Kiki Chisholm for the first down on that one. Uh, he, he had a couple of big plays again in this one. So I, I was impressed with his performance, despite the fact that you are right. It was the worst one that we've seen from him thus far. Yeah. And then lastly, of things I didn't like, this was not a very good clean game uh, for Missouri. Mm. Uh, penalties were noticeable and frequent. Um, say what you will about the referees. I mean, obviously nobody ever likes them. All referees are against your team personally. Um, the only one I really had an issue with was the rake straw personal foul where he got, uh, it looks like he had his face mask grabbed, um, during some hand fighting and he got called on it. So that was not super great. Um, but other than that, like just kind of some procedural stuff. Zeke Powell doesn't line up correctly. Um, it just, I don't know. It seemed a little sloppy, kind of like they were still waking up in the first half. But uh, again, it wasn't terrible, but it's just something that you notice, especially when, you know, the, the previous game against LSU, um, you had some, you had a little bit more penalties than you did in the first two weeks than you did against uh, Alabama and Tennessee. Yeah, I think it looks a little differently if they weren't calling it as tight as they were. I know there were at least, I think there were at least two holding calls that I didn't necessarily agree with. Um, and then the face mask as well on, um, on Mizzou that I I didn't agree with that one either. Um, that being said, I, I did want to ask you about a holding call that was not, that, that was declined. And I was really confused by it. (laughs) Um, so Mizzou held on a kickoff. They were the mm-hmm. receiving team of the kickoff. They held on the play. And they didn't make anything mm-hmm. of this on the broadcast, so I wanted to ask you because maybe I'm just missing something here. Um, there was a hold on Brendan Scales, and Kentucky declined the penalty. <laughs> yeah. can, can you explain to me why? No, I can't. <laughs> Other than I, they're like, I don't know. Maybe they thought it was on them. I have no idea. They gave up a free 10 yards. And again, the the broadcast made nothing of this. So I I was like, am I, am I missing something here? Is there a reason would they have to had to re-kick this? Like what, what went into this decision of declining a penalty that was a hold on Mizzou on their receiving of a kickoff? It, it, you, you gave up 10 yards. (laughs) Like I, I really, I, I still don't understand what happened there. I don't either. And it, it must not have been a mistake because no one on Kentucky sideline complained, or at least not that you saw. Um, I mean, that's a pretty I, big deal. It's a decent deal, especially when it was a low scoring game like this 20 to, you know, at, at that point it was 17 10, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, Missouri was moving and not scoring, but like, yeah, you, you take it where you can get it, man. I, I, I legitimately don't know. I have no idea. I wonder what happened there because that was. So that was with 10:56 left in the first half. So that must have been uh, Mizzou. Oh, so it was 10 to three. 
Yeah, that was Mizzou's second drive, and it didn't mm-hmm. didn't end up mattering. They didn't end up going and doing anything with that drive, but I, they could have set up Kentucky with better field position, if nothing else. At some point, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was wild, but that was just something I noticed that I, I wasn't sure if you had anything on that. I didn't. I wish I did. Uh, we can ask Mark Stoops later. The other thing of notice, um, you know, we talked on, on Wednesday about the depth chart and how yeah. Kiki Chisholm when, and Damon Hazleton were lower than they should. Well, who trotted out play one? <laughs> Damon Hazleton, Kiki Chisholm. So um, depth charts are, don't, are basically meaningless, kids. Don't ever look at them. Yeah, I I wonder if it was kind of a statement to Hazleton, like, hey, get it together, buddy. We, we, we've got a big game this week. We need you to get make sure that everything's ready to go. Or maybe it was as yeah. simple as, hey, he wasn't 100% right early in the week, and so they didn't want to put any pressure on him to get out there and play if he wasn't at 100%. I don't know what it was, but we can now, with the ability to have hindsight and it being 2020, Hazleton played. He was clearly the starter. Same thing with Kiki Chisholm. I don't think there's a whole lot to read into this at this point. Um, Deontay Smith, uh, Boo Smith, and Towski Dove both mm-hmm. played, which I was very happy to see. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it is very noteworthy that Towski Dove was one of the guys that was in down the stretch of the game. Yeah, big blocking. And it, yeah, and the reason why he was in there is because of what you just said. He apparently, you would imagine, is a really good blocker on the outside. And I know that fans do not care about this. And I understand. Like, I I get it. Coaches care about it a lot. If you're a good blocker on the outside, it will get you on the field. Now, you have to then make take advantage of your opportunities. And Tusky Dove did mm-hmm. take advantage of his opportunities. Both last week and this week, he caught his uh, target as well. When he's been given the football he's, he's taking advantage of it but if you're a really good blocker that's going to earn you more opportunities uh michael wilson was the other guy that was out there for yeah those. surprising yeah so apparently he's showing off really well in in practice as well as a blocker so those guys were the two down the stretch when they were on first and second down and larry roundtree was running the hell out of the ball they were the two guys lined up outside as the receivers that were blocking for him so i found that to be really interesting yeah Never would have pegged Michael Wilson as a as a decent run blocker on the edge, but uh, here we are. Um, apparently, he works his butt off, so that's great. You also saw uh, Zeke Powell and Bobby Lawrence did split time at left tackle once again. Uh, Lawrence was in late, so I don't know if that was a Powell injury or they're just kind of swapping out or whatever. Um, also, very impressed by uh, Dylan Spencer in yeah. that I never noticed the kid. Um Xavier Delgado goes down with a ankle or a lower leg injury at some point. Uh, the freshman walks in, who was a defensive lineman last year, mind you. Uh, he walks in and basically goes unnoticed until Delgado comes back, if he came back. I, I don't even know if Delgado came back. That's how well he played. So I don't think he um, did. I, I noticed late in the game they had Spencer in there still, so I, I, don't, nice. I don't believe that he did. Well, good. For, that sucks for Delgado. Obviously, hope he's doing well. But uh, Spencer filled in nicely. It's mm-hmm. nice to have a freshman come in. You don't notice anything bad happening. Oh, for sure. And I, I think this is another spot where this coaching staff deserves a ton of credit, man. If you heard them early in camp talking about this offensive line, you'd been like, oh boy. And I think we were like, oh boy, this, this mm-hmm. could be a real problem for Mizzou. The offensive yep. line's been fine. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a huge strength for the team, but they've been perfectly fine. They are not a weakness for this team by any stretch. I mean, they 
They just played against Kentucky, who was one of the better defenses that they'll see this year, and we said it after the Alabama game, for God's sakes. It it wasn't a whole lot of pressure that they were allowing in that one. So that was kind of a sign of things to come, and this, this Mizzou offensive line is going to be A-OK. Yeah. Man, this is just a great game. It was just a great game. Like, I, I don't – I don't have any other way to put it. You know, it, it, it's just befuddling that, you know, Odom and his staff had four cracks at these guys, knew exactly what they were going to do, and never could do anything to get it done. And Drinkwitz comes in uh, year one, says, okay. You know, it's basically a triple option team. They don't throw a lot. They like to play ball control. They like to beat you with defense. They're just waiting for you to throw the ball. And he said, nope, we're not doing that. We're not playing that game. And knew it immediately. It's just, it's such a, it's so weird and refreshing that I know that there's competence on the offensive side of the ball. Now, I know you might say, well, what about 2018? Look, listener, yes, 2018 was a good offense. I didn't think it was competent. I think it was bailed out a lot by Drew Locke, who's an NFL talent. Um, you can just see, kind of, well, you can't see it directly, but you could feel the, 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 play calling groove that drink gets in and he can scheme things correctly and like plays make sense and everything makes sense other than calling timeouts um and he just he handles the flow of calling plays really really well and the team responds to that and it's it's a unique feel, feeling and i've missed it and uh i'm just glad it's back me too um i think that he deserves a lot of credit as well for being willing and able to make the decision to go with connor Bazelek because that is not an easy move um it was the right one, but he decided early on, hey, Basilek's going to be our guy, and that was clearly the correct decision. The staff yep. last year deserves a lot of criticism for not getting Basilek on the field earlier. I mean, it that offense was atrocious down the stretch, and watching mm-hmm. Basilek right now, it's really hard for me to look back at that team and not wonder, okay, what would that have been able to do? I mean, it might have saved their jobs, honestly. Could have. We might be watching Barry Odom as the head coach of Mizzou right now if instead of going out there with Kelly Bryant throwing for 130 yards against Kentucky and Taylor Powell playing quarterback for Mizzou against Georgia, if Connor Basilek is the team or is the quarterback for Mizzou in those games, I wonder what that team looks like, man. I really do. I don't think they beat Georgia. They don't beat Florida, but they could have had an opportunity against Tennessee, you know? So take out the fact that playing Bazelak could have saved their jobs and Odom's still here and we don't get drink wins, all right? Take take that part out. You'd also be playing Bazelak who would be losing uh, a year of eligibility for a team that ended up not being bowl eligible, like, at all. Um, you could have easily kind of scarred him, thrown him out against Georgia, thrown him out against Florida. Um, and, you know, in the end... <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say – I don't want to make any assumptions because we don't watch practice, but there's a good chance that he wasn't all that great for most of the year last year, you know? Like, there's a chance that he just either didn't grasp the system or didn't practice very well. Um, I, so, we, I don't want to just say that Odom and, and his staff just we saw wrote him, him off. We, we saw but him. we did see him against Arkansas. And he yes. was good. He was, like, he was very so, good. I mean, like, if we never saw him last year – um maybe i would totally agree with you but we saw him and he went seven for nine for 80 yards 
you know, Wait, like well, I, I know, it, know. it's hard for me to, to say like, oh, he clearly just couldn't. Maybe he's a terrible practice player because this coaching staff also watched him in practice. Exactly. And decided Sean Robinson was the guy to start the season. And so it's, it's very possible that his style of play just does not translate to practice. Perfectly fine. I get all of that. When Mizzou was going through, and this is all hindsight now, right? But when Mizzou lost that game against Kentucky, we all knew midway through that one, they were not rebounding. That was it. That was the end of the year. They did not even have to shoot up against Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. I know what happened to that Arkansas. That Arkansas game was, they were done too. Um, That team was done at that point. They had given up. I don't know. If Basilak saves that season, but I know he would have given them a better opportunity than Kelly Bryant did at that point. And they should have tried it. And they didn't. And that's fine. It is what it is. And now Mizzou's in a better spot because they didn't. Because now he does have that extra year of eligibility. And they do have a better head coach as a result. It doesn't matter. But I think that's the difference between this staff and that staff. This staff gave it a shot with Basilak. And now he's pay- it's paying off for them. That staff never really did until the final moment of the final possible game when I think most of them already knew they were gone anyways. So I still subscribe to my theory that they did not want to ruin or spoil the goods that were Connor Bazelak by throwing him out against Alabama in game one. I firmly believe that. But, man, because, they, they thought they could be fired. And if they knew he was the best quarterback on the roster, like if it was they didn't want to spoil him. No, I'm talking about I mean, I'm talking about Drinkwitz. Oh, I mean, okay, okay. I thought you were yeah. talking about last year. I was like, wait no, no, a no. second. <laughs> like, like, you know, that would be, that'd be crazy stupid. If you're gotcha. playing for your job, you need to put the press guys out there. You're absolutely right. And they only did that until Arkansas. No, for, for Drinkwitz, they started Sean Robinson game one against Alabama. And they only put in Bazelak for that second half of, uh, series and then the very very end and i'm still thinking it's because they didn't want to spoil him they didn't want to put him out against a title contending team in his very first start they didn't want him broken they wanted to put sean robinson out and then Hmm. against tennessee they're like oh well you know sean wasn't bad let's just let's just do this again same thing right sean starts connor gets a series in the second quarter and then we'll see how it goes going forward and that's when connor took over in the second half uh Offense got a little bit more <clears throat> moving, uh, and then LSU happened. So I'm still thinking they knew what they had. They just didn't want to ruin it against one of the, like one of the greatest teams in the in the entire world. And I'm still of the opinion they thought Sean Robinson was going to be their quarterback. I, I I think that's how they felt going into the Alabama game. I think that's how they felt leaving the Alabama game. And mm-hmm. then I think the first quarter against Tennessee, when they saw him struggle the way that he did. And then you bring in Basilak, and he gets the offense moving, and he sh- succeeds the way that he did. I think that's mm-hmm. when it. I think that's when it clicked for them. Like, okay, we can't go back to Robinson. <laughs> we <laughs> we found our quarterback, and it's Connor Basilak, and he's going to be the quarterback for uh, the foreseeable future. And you know, against LSU, uh, Connor and Sean were out on the field on the first offensive mm-hmm. play, and then Sean did something to his ankle, and we haven't seen him since. And we're not going to see him again. <laughs> probably not like god, god bless later. sean robinson thanks for yeah. coming to mizzou i'm really happy that we have you here i i hope you have nothing but success in the future connor basilak is is going to the be the missouri quarterback until he doesn't want to be the missouri quarterback anymore yep Basically. or tyler macon uh usurps him yeah and he's gonna have to be really really really, really good. good yeah really right. good or really patient 
So as we wrap things up here, I've got a question mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Missouri is two and two. Mm-hmm. They play ten games this year. Mm-hmm. The upcoming schedule is really daunting. They go mm-hmm. down to Florida next week. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after that, they've got a bye week in between these games. They take on Georgia at home. Mm-hmm. Then they finish up the final four weeks of the season at South Carolina against Arkansas, at Mississippi State, and home against Vandy. How many games, what do you think is the over-under for Mizzou wins this season? What are you, you expecting? What are you hoping for? How do you kind of break this down as we project forward a little bit with the way too early, let's look ahead line? So we're four down, six to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've already got two in the bank. They already got two in the bank, right? So if I set, if I said going, f- okay, end of the year, the over-under on wins is five and a half. Would you go over or under? I think that's the line. Um, I think I would go over, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you are saying lost to Florida, lost to Georgia, win out. Yeah. Am I crazy? Wow. Am I crazy? You're not that? crazy. You're just, you so know my, that's not how it's going to work. <laughs> so my expectation, like the bare minimum moving forward for me to say, okay, pretty good year is four. My, my hope my belief is that they're going to get five. I think they're going to be able to get five this year. Yeah. And then, like, best case scenario, this is awesome, is six. I don't think that there's a way they can get to seven. That would include no. a win over either Georgia or Florida, Florida coming on the road next next week. And I guess part of this is I don't know how, how the COVID situation is going with Florida Yeah, right I'm now. not taking COVID into account. Absolutely. Yeah, Don't I'm assuming that. if Florida has their roster out there and they're playing with the Florida Gators that we've seen for the first, whatever, four weeks of the season, I'm expecting that Florida will win that game. If they don't, if Mizzou wins that game, all bets are off. Like, I'm willing to talk about Georgia at that point, but <laughs> let, let's get there first. Um, I'm expecting they lose the next two. I think they should win three. I think they definitely will win two of the final four. Mm -hmm. And if they can win all four of those, that's when I'm all in on Eli Drinkwitz. Like, I'm already pretty (laughs) close to being there. But if they get at South Carolina, Arkansas at home, Mississippi State on the road, and Vandy, and they win all four of those, that is just – I mean, that's like going nine and three in a typical season. Yeah, pretty much. Or ten and two even, potentially. God. Like, it's that If he wins, I mean, even if he loses Florida, Georgia, and then wins the next four, then we're going to get in a bidding war with Michigan for Eli Trinkwitz. That's that's <laughs> the thing, man. Yeah, I don't want to be there. I don't want that. It's too soon. I. So here's the thing. I wrote whenever Eli Drinkwitz got the job at Mizzou, or maybe it was before, and we were kind of talking about potential candidates. It's okay to be a stepping stone job. Um, and I know Mizzou, uh, there there was a lot of pushback whenever I wrote that and people got really upset about it. Here's why I say that if Eli Drinkwitz goes on, let's, I don't think he's going to leave after this year, but let's say two years from now, he has ton of success here at Mizzou. He ends up going eight and four next year and 10 and two in year three. You know what your next coach is going to want? They're going to want to come to Mizzou. Like then, then it becomes a really attractive job. And suddenly, mm-hmm. the guys that didn't even listen to you this time around, they're going to listen to you next time. 
Um, <laughs> you, you're going to yeah. go to a Billy Napier. He might be interested mm-hmm. next time around. You're going to be able to go to some other Power 5 jobs where they're like kind of unhappy with their current situation and they're not getting the funding that they're looking for. And maybe they look at you. Um, so th- that's why I say it's okay to be a stepping stone job because if Drinkwitz uses it that way, and I don't know if he will or not, but if he does, that means that the next guy is going to look at this and say, man, if I take Mizzou, I can get Texas or Michigan or whatever, yeah. whatever their dream job is. That's a good thing. You want to be able to have that for your next coach. It's obviously ideal if they just want to sit here and be the coach at Mizzou for 20 years. That's just, that's not the norm, man. Most people don't grow up dreaming to be the Mizzou football head coach. And that's okay. You just want to have success while they're here. And, and that's that's ultimately where you want to be. Yeah. I mean, look, a head coach comes, takes over a job. They, they leave. 90% of the time they leave, either being fired or hired away. I mean, if you go through all of Missouri Missouri's football coaches, uh, Farrell retired here, I think, and Pinkle retired here. Everyone else got fired or hired away. So don't think that everybody's Pinkle. Like, that's, a, that's an abnormality. Uh, and that's okay. That's okay. So um, it will suck to see him go, but that means that your team is really good. And like BK said, it makes us look very attractive to other coaches. So I don't think you uh, ever answered. What, what would you take over under five and a half? Ah, oh, you got me. Damn it. You were about to get uh, out of this. I really was. Uh, just because, uh, well, for a litany of reasons, I want to take the under. I want to say they get five. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't think they beat Florida. I don't think they beat Georgia. As long as those two rosters are the rosters that we think they are. So between South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Vandy. You got to be Vandy. Like, that's going to happen. Vandy's a mess, even if it's at the end of the year. Somewhere between South Carolina, which always just is difficult, Arkansas, who is feisty, and Mississippi State, who is just due for a turnaround breakout at some point, I feel like Missouri's got a clunker against one of those three. So I will say five. Who would you but, say is the most likely of those three? Because I've got my answer. <clears throat> Who's the most likely loss? Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Barry is going to be motivated. That's going to suck. Yeah. I actually, I think Kentucky was a really big game for the Vandy one because I, Vandy is Kentucky light. They're, they're not very yeah. good offensively. <laughs> they're, they're a pretty good defensive team. If you can do this against Kentucky, you, you should beat Vanderbilt handily. Um, yeah. I don't think that Mississippi State's very good. I think what we saw in week one was an aberration, and I don't think LSU was prepared for that. And so moving forward, I think Mississippi State's kind of going to be this, where the offense looks a little disjointed, and K.J. Costello is K.J. Costello. He's the guy that we saw, and he's going to be that moving forward. And I think South Carolina is just kind of okay. I think they we overrated them a little bit as well. Um, I know what they did against Auburn. I think Auburn's a really weird team. I don't know what to make of them this year either. So <laughs> I think moving forward, I, I think it's really likely that South Carolina ends up losing against Texas A&M. I would not be surprised if they lose against Ole Miss as well. I think Missouri's going to beat them, and then I think Georgia's going to beat them as well. So I think we're going to see them kind of go off to a little bit of a a rough a rough patch here after this week as well. Yeah, South Carolina is tricky because it's on the road. Same for Mississippi State, mm-hmm. but yeah, leech teams. You know, 
it just takes them a while to get off the ground. It happened at Texas Tech. It happened at Washington State. Yeah, ignore the fact that they beat LSU in game one. Like, this is still – this is kind of how it works. So, um, Also, it's going to be Will Rogers is what it looks like. I don't know if K.J. Costello is still playing for Mississippi State. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll uh, – I don't know. But I'm going to say five in the spirit of argument and uh, me being a negative Nancy. What happens if they get to seven? Uh, I will start <laughs> whittling the statue myself out of a tree park in my backyard. Again, don't think it's going to happen. Would not no. pick that. Would not predict that. Like, just kind of going galaxy brain here and thinking about it in a hypothetical scenario. Like, So, 7-3 and three in the SEC. Would that be a New Year's Six Bowl? Ooh, interesting. Um... I, I legitimately don't know because I don't know how the bowls are doing stuff. I saw Army I, accepted a bowl bid already, but like, really? I don't know, yeah, I don't know how. I'm not. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I but, don't know how any of this is going to work because there's not even like a qualification this year. There's not. They're not yeah. doing six and six or whatever. You don't have to get to six wins. So I don't know how any of this is going to work. Um, that would probably put them second in the east am i am i mistaken there because like let's let's say if we assume that it's florida they beat maybe florida has some Mm -hmm. covid cases and mizzou gets a couple of breaks in the game and they ultimately win that one Mm -hmm. i'm that would that would put them second if i'm not mistaken maybe third behind florida and georgia but um i mean that if if not in a new year six i mean you're looking at something pretty good you're looking at like I don't think the Holiday Bowl is actually taking place this year, but something on that type of a level, I would like imagine. The, uh, like the Citrus Bowl, like when we played Minnesota. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, where you're like the quote-unquote at-large bowl bid yeah. type of a thing. Yeah. Which is good, man. I, I that, That'd be a hugely successful season. Now, I'm not, again, not predicting that, but that'd be, yeah, that <laughs> that would probably be what you're looking at. Nice. Yeah. Um. Any any last thoughts? Football's fun again, man. It is. It is. And this is this is like it was my big takeaway from the LSU game. I enjoy Saturdays again. I look forward to it. My week kind of <laughs> leads up to Saturdays now, and that's yeah. how it should be. If you're if you're a football fan and you've got a college that you watch every weekend, it shouldn't be dread. It shouldn't be oh my god, tomorrow Mizzou plays. <laughs> this is going to be awful. It should be, hey, Mizzou plays tomorrow. And I thought Mizzou was going to win this game. I texted you yesterday, and I said, hey. Yeah, you did. I, I think Mizzou's going to win this one. Like, I, I actually feel pretty confident about this game. I, and they did. And so that's that's how it should be. If you're a Mizzou fan, you should go into these games feeling like you've got a shot when you're playing Kentucky or Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Vandy. Those are the types of games that you should feel at worst, that it's you've got a puncher's chance, and they do right now. And that was not always the case in the previous coaching staff. Football is fun again for me. So, Nate, what's your big takeaway from this week? I'm just glad we beat Kentucky, man. God, that's, that's five years coming. Um we had some close calls here and there and just never happened. And I'm just really glad that we did. So yeah, it's fun uh, to not have those losing streaks against specific teams. It's, it's really relaxing and fun to see that an offense, even if they're not scoring points can competently move the ball. Uh, and it's just, it's nice to see wins two in a row, man, two wins in a row. That's I forgot one thing that I have to that? ask you. Yes. Mizzou is up 17 to 10. They have a fourth and goal at the Kentucky one-yard line. There's three minutes and seven seconds to play in the game. They've already shown 
highlights from the 2018 game. <sighs> Harrison Mevis lines up for a field goal from 20 yards out. It's on the right hash. What was your expectation at that point? Doink. <laughs> I totally felt the same way. <laughs> I'm That's such a fraud. <laughs> I know. No, Mevis is, he surpasses curses <clears throat> at this point. Um, ice cold, baby. Ice cold. Love me some thicker. I just said I think that there's a chance they win six. I, I'm picking them to win six games this year, and I fully expected him to hit the upright. I fully, I was like, okay. I was in full blown panic mode inside of the game. But we left it and we won, and that's all that matters. And now I can have my optimism back again. That's right. <laughs> Don't let anybody take that away from you, especially that's our right. thicker. You'll never let you down. That is our show for today. <clears throat> As always, we appreciate the downloads and subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. We'll have plenty of fallout from this game, plenty of analysis coming forward. Uh, just enjoy the win for the next 24 hours. We'll get back into it uh, on Tuesday night where we will record again and be looking forward, hopefully, to play the COVID-stricken Florida Gators. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And uh, until then, I'm Z. Z-O-U.